Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And today we have one of the heavier episodes in the series. This is episode 31, Her Tragedy. So before we get started, I want to throw out there that this episode has some heavy-duty content warnings around uh, incest, around sexual assault, and we're going to be digging into all of it. Um, so be ready for that this episode. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it just kind of comes out of nowhere, this episode. I mean, like, the whole show has been building up to something like this happening. But where it happens in this episode, like, we're so focused on other characters that this happens uh, so abruptly and is like just brings us immediately back to why we're all here. <laughs> I would argue it is not abrupt at all, given who this episode is about and how Nanami is connected to Anthe. And then yeah. the parallel between Nanami and Toga and Anthe and Akio. So we're seeing these parallel stories play out. Normally I talk about how Nanami parallels like Utena's discoveries and Utena's journey, which we kind of get a little bit of that as Nanami is actually the first one to figure out what's going on with Akio and Anthe. Um, it's not really a spoiler to say eventually Utena will figure this out. But the fact that Nanami figures it out first is maybe something we weren't expecting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but on the other hand, Utena's so blinded by the show that Akio puts on to try and um, lure people into uh, his falling prey to him, I'll say. Utena's so wrapped up in that that of course she doesn't see it or find out first. And she's so trusting of both Akio and Anthe. So I just, yeah, this makes sense as to Nanami finding out first. Well, right, because like she's having her world shattered and then immediately finds out about what's actually going on with the chairman and the Rose Bride. Yes. God, poor Nanami. Poor everybody in this episode, except Akio, who can, you know, fuck off forever. <laughs> <laughs> so in case you forgot how we got to Atori Academy, we start with the fairy tale opening again. And this one gets deployed, I would say, partly to lull us into that, like, fairy tale romance mindset again. Mm-hmm. And... Once we're in that fairy tale romance mindset, we tend to excuse some of the red flags as being like charming romantic things because for a lot of years in fiction, we romanticized things that really shouldn't be romanticized. Uh, they might seem fun as a fantasy, but like this show does a good job of taking that fantasy at face value problems and all and so we start with the fairy tale opening again just so the show can show us 
that this isn't a fairy tale. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely it does. The just on a baseline, the treatment. Ugh. I mean, it really this episode does such a good job of showing you one thing and then the antithesis of it <laughs> by the end of the episode. Oh yeah. And like the way in which in this episode, Nanami gets what she theoretically should want. Right. right? Like finding out that the person she loves isn't a blood relative. Like there's an entire genre of fiction <laughs> about that revelation. <laughs> <laughs> oh. She has built her life around her love of her brother, this obsession she has with Toga. And now she finds out even the taboo against it doesn't apply anymore, which that's not really how that works like i get like the whole blood relation thing but like when you're raised together it it's you're still siblings you know right (laughs) but like she finds this out and it shatters her rather than being like oh well now i'm off the hook she is completely shattered by this revelation and then because this show cannot pull its punches she takes another hit in finding out what's going on with Akio and Anthe. Like she in this episode gets to see the logical conclusion of what she has been fantasizing about with Toga. Kind of, but yes. What do you mean? Kind of? Well, um, (sighs) what haunts me about the last scene is how true to a sexual assault that looks and is because of the way that Anthe looks. Um, she has like this glassed over stare of just like staring off into the distance that like uh, glazed eyes, hundred yard stare where she oh, yeah. is not present in the moment at all. So like, is it the, like the conclusion of what Nanami wants I mean, in terms of, like, a relationship culmination, sure. But in that context, no. I would contend that Nanami is seeing the logical conclusion of what she's been fantasizing about because she hasn't realized what that actually means. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. She's still coming from a, like, childlike innocence portion of it. And that's why she is having such a hard time with wrangling her feelings about this whole situation. Because in her mind, well, this is just how brothers and sisters are supposed to be. And not, she just can't get past the like, this is how brothers and sisters are supposed to be. And cannot get to the, well, sure, we're not blood related. We're not blood related, but we were raised together. He's my adoptive brother. So we're still brother and sister. Or... The other, like, fiction tangent of that, (laughs) which is, oh, he's not my brother anymore. He's not my blood relative. So, yay, (laughs) according to that genre. Yeah, like, he has been the core of her world this entire time. And that has been shaken. But, like, this this gets at something I've said in prior episodes that, like, 
she has this obsession with Toga. And yes, it is childlike because she doesn't understand sexual relationships yet. Like she doesn't understand what it means to add that to a sibling relationship. Or any relationship, I don't think. Right. And so she is substituting the intimacy that she has with her brother for the intimacy she believes that couples have together, not recognizing that those are categorically different kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, like this episode, she now sees what it is she's been asking for and realizes, oh, that's definitely not what I want. <laughs> yeah. That, that is bad. <laughs> she... Saw Do that not shit. want. <laughs> she saw that shit and got the fuck out of there. <laughs> Which I don't blame her at all. How traumatizing for, you know, her and Anthony. Yeah, and her reaction to it in the next episode is not great. Oh. <laughs> but uh, but we're just dealing with this episode. And so <laughs> this episode opens... Uh, like I said, with the fairy tale opening, and then we get a scene of Nanami standing by this like animated picture, like a memory sort of thing of uh, the like stick and hoop game. Uh, a girl is playing that, and then like there's another picture next to it of two people swinging on swings, and the phone is ringing, so she picks it up and. It's another girl who is interested in Toga. This is a, a repeated theme throughout this entire episode. Girls calling for Toga. Mm-hmm. And she consoles herself by saying, I'm not like the rest of you. Toga and I were joined by blood. So like part of this is just feeling superior to these girls who are fawning over Toga. Yeah. And in the end, um, <laughs> In the end, the caller is trying to get Nanami to, like, leave a message for him. And she's like, (laughs) she basically hangs up and is like, should have got his cell phone number, loser. (laughs) (laughs) This is this is typical little sister behavior of like, (laughs) I feel like this is typical little sister or little sibling behavior of messing with uh, (laughs) messing with your your siblings significant others of just like basically the equivalent of nanana boo boo behavior (laughs) oh yeah so this is very on brand for nanami and then this the next scene is interesting because the transition is like her kind of lost in thought after that and then next thing you know she's looking at uh what i called the birdcage um the rose garden um and toga's inside with a girl he's also on the phone with someone presumably another girl although it was hard to tell if it was another girl or potentially the end of the world i would be willing to bet that it was another girl just because like the tone of this conversation is him flexing (laughs) for the (sighs) benefit of the girl that he's with at that moment like He's talking about how he would never go out with a girl like her. Whoever that is, we don't know. Yeah. But he is dissing some girl to a girl on the phone while he has another girl wrapped around him in the Rose Garden. 
this is like Toga is living that whole like Giancarlo Esposito meme where like this girl is like you're on his phone but I'm in the rose garden with him we are not the same (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and then the icing on the cake is the you're my only girl baby to the random girl that he's with in the rose garden like come on dude okay so for anyone who is listening what you need to understand is if you are ever the other man or the other woman in a relationship even if they so-called choose you in the end you will get cheated on <laughs> like that is a temporary situation and you know that this is a temporary situation or you should know this is a temporary situation because by virtue of choosing you they have shown their willingness to lie about their relationship to the person they are currently with and break it off with who they're currently with for someone else and if you think that that won't happen to you it will <laughs> and all these girls are reveling in the the sensation of being his chosen one for a minute and then he's on to the next one and every single one of them thinks that they're the the final one and they never are nope nanami answers uh <laughs> nanami answers a call later in the episode where a girl is talking about i made dinner for you and it sat out all night and spoiled essentially uh but that's okay it's fine you know i'm the only one that you talk to right or i'm the only one for you kind of thing and i'm just like good god <laughs> oh no oh girl you are in too deep uh he definitely has anybody that he comes into contact with just wrapped around his finger including his little sister oh yeah and he even uses as we see in this episode he even uses some of those same tactics on her with that oh how do i describe it it's that oh just kidding but it's not it's like oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like the just kidding unless <laughs> <laughs> toga is a human like eyes emoji <laughs> uh, for real <laughs> Yeah, and then here, case in point, right here in the next scene, uh, Nanami and Toga are at home, and Nanami's reading um, some kind of magazine uh, about blood type and compatibility, and then is talking about how their whole family is B type, but they all get along just fine. Yeah, it's a, a teen magazine for girls from the nineties, back yeah. when like printed magazines were an actual thing uh, i mean technically they still exist but like who who buys them <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so she's reading this and she's comparing like the entire family because it says that couples who are both b-type are the least compatible and she's going through in her head that the entire family is blood type b Meaning, she and Toga, if they're both blood type B, would be completely incompatible. Right. But before she can point out what his blood type is, like she goes through herself, mom, dad, and before she can get to Toga, that's when he cuts her off and says he's going to go take a shower. 
Mm-hmm. That's our first warning that something is up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not a- he says, so not only does he say he's going to go take a shower, he asks her to join him. Just care to join me? And then there's this long ass pause to the point where I thought something was wrong with my video player. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, like that is a pregnant pause that you have to induce labor on because like, yeah, it's gone on too long. (laughs) Yep. It's gone on too long and it's time to get this baby out of here. (laughs) And he finally follows up with a just kidding and then walks off. I would say saunters. Uh, and it cuts to Nanami, who is so red in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. There's also, like, a, a jump cut to, like, a frog eating a fly, which I guess is, like, code for predator-prey type thing. Or, like, caught you in a trap type thing. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, she's so red in the face, she can't even speak. Poor thing. But in a weird way... <sighs> As I'm like analyzing this after watching the episode, I do feel like Toga's kind of testing the waters. And I... Um, I don't know if I agree with that, but, but go on. Well, because it seems like every time in this episode that he says, not even him, but just any time in this episode that somebody says, oh, just kidding, they're not. Akio says something later on in the episode about wanting to start uh, a harem. And follows it up with just kidding. And we know he's not. That man would <laughs> that man would kill to have a harem up in that uh chairman's office. Um and that's essentially what he was gaming to do this whole episode. Um there's also a moment where Anthe says that she was kidding and she's not, because it was again in that context of um Utena said something about, oh, Akio's like making a harem up here, like just making a joke. And Anthe follows it up with, uh, yeah, he's not picky. <laughs> and just kidding. But he's, again, that's not a joke. She's not kidding. She knows him. So that's why I was like, is he testing the waters? But it it seems like he genuinely cares about Nanami too much to do that. I hope. I don't think that he's actually testing the waters here. I think he's fucking with her. Okay. And I I say this based on some knowledge that I have from like next episode also. Like I don't think it's quite as gross as you might be afraid of. Um, Thank God. I, (laughs) I think he is, I think he's mocking her attachment to him. Mm. Like, just as cruel, just in a different way. Yeah, that is cruel. I mean, especially because he does a lot of this stuff, like his womanizing, essentially, right in front of Nanami, or just in plain view of her. You know, he doesn't try to keep it a secret from her, I don't think. Not only is he not keeping it a secret from her, I don't think he could keep it a secret even from the people he's with. (laughs) (laughs) From anybody, quite frankly. (laughs) So the next scene, we have Nanami in her bedroom uh, looking at a photo album of photos of her and Toga from when they were kids. And she says that they used to share everything, meals, their bed, baths, and now he doesn't care at all. And so she is pretty despondent about this and 
just as her sadness is reaching its peak, the windows blow open, the photos all scatter, and she's worried that they're drifting apart. So then she goes to peek on him in the bathroom as he's taking a shower. And like, there's a way to read this as like gross and pervy. But like in this moment, the look on her face is just this like pained longing as she's realizing how how far they're drifting apart. Yeah, again, it read as just innocence on her part from me or from my perspective. Because she's not like sneaking in there like, ha ha, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to sneak in on my brother. Like, it's nothing like that. She does have like that air of sadness about her still. And there's I feel like there's a type of longing there, but it's again, like you said, for the closeness that they shared. And there's also notably there is a red rose in the background as this is going on, which is Toga's rose. Not the white rose of like, this is my prince type thing. Right. And so she slips out and he hears the door close. So like he realizes she was there. But like I I just want to go back to like the shower itself. He is standing there in that shower in like the most weird triumphant pose. <laughs> <laughs> He's like victory pose standing to like get his confidence for the day. Yeah, like <laughs> He's just in the shower, but he's standing like he is presenting his dick to an audience. Well, he is. <sighs> it's to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what am I going to do with you? <laughs> <laughs> in that moment, Togo sensed and broke through the fourth wall. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway. So... Then we cut to a shot of Togo with a bunch of girls in like the courtyard of the school. And Nanami is watching from like the second floor, um, that like second floor window that all the students love to hang out at. Um, and she apparently has his phone. Now mm -hmm. I missed it. Did she steal it when he was in the bathroom? She did. Okay, good. Like I knew I missed something there. Um, uh, and so these girls are calling him and Nanami is the one answering and they just have these like increasingly desperate pleads for his attention. And Nanami just cuts them off each time with like, get it through your head. He's dumped you. Didn't he tell you his new number? Oh, that's a hint. You know, like she just keeps like breaking these relationships off. And I guess, like, taking some little bit of satisfaction in that. Yeah, still trying to keep him as much to herself as she can. So then the trio comes around. I'm going to try my best to remember their names. Keiko, Aiko, Yuko? Yes! I fucking did it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I called both, in my notes for the episodes, I called both them and the... Uh, three guys with glasses, the triplets. So it's always just hard to identify which is which. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko come around the corner and they have that teen magazine again and are talking about the different blood type compatibilities. And finally, they spit out what they all want to know, which is what's Toga's blood type. And as soon as they said that, I was like, 
that was the wrong question to ask. Y'all are supposed to be her <laughs> Y'all are supposed to be her closest friends and you should know she does not want to give any information out about Toga. And she says and certainly not information about dating him. Exactly. And the whole thing is about compatibility with data. And no, she is not going to give that information out. Are y'all nuts? So she says in just the most <laughs> ominous sounding tone she can manage. And why are you seeing how compatible you are? And they all just take that as their cue are scared shitless and leave. <laughs> <laughs> she effectively scares them off. And she says, kind of triumphantly afterwards, but also to try to convince herself, my brother belongs to me. I won't let anyone take him away from me. And then she spots him in the courtyard talking to Utena and Anthe and trying to get Utena to go to dinner with him. <laughs> yeah, she says, I don't do that. You know this. <laughs> <laughs> Boy does not give up. But he did say in a previous episode that he had like, fallen for her even though he's dating all these other girls <laughs> like she taunts him by asking like does he have some latin blood which racial stereotypes there <laughs> see i'm dumb and <laughs> i'm so dumb i read latin and thought of the dead language <laughs> <laughs> i've been doing too much language learning <laughs> Oh my god. And so then the because we have now seen Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko, we're just waiting for the the reveal of the the trio of boys. And they all walk in carrying statues. And the statues have glasses that match their own. <laughs> because of course they do. And while they're trying to carry these statues down the stairs, Nanami confronts Utena about uh her and toga and it's like trying to have a fight what on opposite sides of a construction site they're both <laughs> yelling at each other and going what <laughs> and of course like utana also is like what the fuck man we're not fighting i don't want him <laughs> <laughs> right and nanami's like no 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 we're fighting and so she grabs the statues and tries to huck all three of them at Utena and trips on a banana peel and goes down. But Akio saves the day. Yes. And uh, who's revealed to be the banana cul culprit? None other than Anthe herself. She's eating a banana in the next shot. Oh, yeah. Because anything that happens that hurts Nanami always has to come from Anthe. Somehow. And <laughs> that and any like surrealist shit that goes down in this at the school, Anthea is somehow at the crux of. <laughs> but Akio saves her. And of course, what does Akio do? His signature move of bandaging her foot. Yep. This man has a foot fetish. Seriously, this guy has one move and he does it on every girl. Every single one. Ugh. Now I'm just waiting to like see the backstory between uh, him and Anthe and find out like when did her foot get injured? <laughs> right. Come on. 
You have to give us this show. You have to do this. <laughs> give us Anthe's injured ankle. <laughs> oh, but anyway, uh, he asks Utina to put away the first aid kit. And the shot pulls back and it reveals that we're in the chairman's quarters. And she goes to pick up the first aid kit and her hand brushes against his. And there is this long, romantic pause. Utina's blushing. Nanami's getting grumpy because she <laughs> sees the two of them making eyes. And eventually she snaps out of it and, and goes to put it away. Yeah, Nanami has to cough to shake her out of it. Yeah. And Utena's like, oh, sorry, I spaced out there for a second. <laughs> and then what does Anthe do to help, uh, you know, support Nanami while she's injured? Of course, she makes her signature shaved ice for everybody. Because and otherwise, she would have blown up the entire, you know, kitchen. <laughs> and then feeds it to her big brother, like he's a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I just realized? Hmm. Choo Choo was nowhere to be seen anywhere in this episode. That is correct. Holy shit. As soon as you said the comment about the baby, I'm like, where the fuck was Choo Choo? <laughs> where the fuck was Choo Choo? Uh, hiding somewhere. Or have we ever seen Choo Choo and Nanami in the same room? No, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yes, we have all the way back in like episode three. <laughs> Maybe it was episode four. So then we have a conversation between Utna and Nanami out by the, the fountain where Utna was talking to Jury like those past episodes. This is like where Jury dueled with Ruka, uh, like that fountain with the statue nearby. The statue that just seems to constantly be changing. Mm -hmm. um, before we dive into the analysis of like the scene itself, I'm just going to briefly run down like what all those statues were. So the first one is Castor and Pollux. Oh, so the, the twins from the Gemini constellation. We have discussed Castor and Pollux before on the show back when... Uh, when Akio was making his like Gemini comparison um, to Utena and Anthe. The next one is either Orpheus or Apollo. Now, both of them are commonly depicted with lyres, which is that instrument. Uh, I don't have like the art history chops to be able to distinguish what signifies a statue of Apollo versus a statue of Orpheus. So I think what usually distinguishes them is the degree to which they're clothed, which is, in this case, the level of nudity here. I'm assuming this is Apollo rather than Orpheus, um, but I could be wrong. I am open to being told I'm wrong. <laughs> now go ahead and say that. So if you, dear listener, know which it was, feel free to write in and let us know. because. It'd be cool to solve that little mystery. So the next one uh, is not Zeus, which is usually what like most people would assume it would be because of like the amount to which Zeus rapes people in uh, mythology. 
Um, this one is actually the rape of Proserpina, which is Pluto. Um, this is like the equivalent. This is like the equivalent story of Hades and Persephone in Roman mythology. Um, mm. This is Pluto and Proserpina. It's a kind of a parallel myth. It's not the same as Persephone, but it's kind of a parallel. Um, and then the final one is the musicians of Bremen. They're intelligent or whatever, but these animals decide that they're going to go to Bremen to become musicians, but they get waylaid in a house and have to um, chase off some robbers. It's a goofy story. I don't have like all the details on this one. I think there's like a clear parallel here with Nanami in terms of like the animal thing that keeps coming up. <laughs> yeah. I've wondered about that. <laughs> the rape of Proserpina one is pretty on the nose. <laughs> yeah. Um, Foreshadowing. Yeah. And like the Gemini one calls back to Utena and Anthe, but I think also Nanami and Utena and also Nanami and Anthe. <laughs> like yeah. there's a lot of pairs in this one but crucially like i don't think this is necessarily making the parallel of nanami and toga or anthe and akio even though like those are the sibling pairs that we're dealing with in this episode they're not the ones that the show has set up as being the twins because like that would just be uh, uh mickey and Cosway. <laughs> right <laughs> those are the actual twin siblings in this in this series. Like this is definitely a much more metaphorical piece. Um, yeah. As for either Apollo or Orpheus, I think the reading here depends upon whether you think it's Apollo or Orpheus. Like as much as Zeus has a reputation for sticking his dick in places it doesn't belong, Apollo does also. <laughs> right. <laughs> like the only reason we don't talk about Apollo that way is because Zeus is right there. <laughs> Um, but like Apollo seducing people is also a, a common trope in uh, in myth. As for Orpheus, this is about true love descending into the underworld to retrieve um, the soul of uh, a dead loved one. I guess like you could say that this could be Orpheus given like the themes of love in this episode. In a sense, you could say like Nanami's revelation throughout this episode is a descent into the underworld in like a Campbell's monomyth sense, like the hero of a thousand faces. Like if we're doing like Campbell analysis of all of this, yeah. this is kind of like a descent into the underworld for, for Nanami. Um, but first off, I actually kind of hate breaking everything down by like Campbell's stages. Um, and second, I think there's probably a more elegant metaphor there, but write in. Let me know what you think. Tell us what you feel about the about these statues. Yeah. As for the scene itself, uh, this deals with Nanami projecting her jealousy onto Utena. And ostensibly, they're talking about a couple sitting together on a bench. Uh, but Nanami clarifies and says that she's actually talking about Utena and Akio and how obvious they're being and all of that. Um, and 
she turns it around on Utena and says, you're jealous, which is actually what Nanami is feeling. <laughs> right. Because Nanami saw what Utena and Akio had going on in the prior scene. Classic projection. <laughs> and then also what Anthe and Akio had going on in the prior scene, because now she's seeing a brother and sister doing the kinds of things that like she wishes she could do with Toga. We're yeah. not at the point yet where that crosses the line. She's still in the, that state of, see, this is what I want. I want this with Toga. Yeah, the innocence of like feeding someone shaved ice like they're a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she even goes so far as to say, a wonderful brother like that is wasted on Anthe. And yeah. Utena's like, Utena's like, Somebody, that's not wasted on anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the mindset of that, like what that says about Nanami's core beliefs here, that she could even feel or say that out loud. It's just mind boggling to me. Yeah, and do it confidently, smugly even. <laughs> and Utina points this out. She's like, no. Nanami, you're the only person who thinks this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then Nanami immediately cuts Utena down with the, well, you're in love with the chairman, aren't you? And of course, Utena immediately like blushes a little and is like, what? what are you talking about? That's ridiculous type thing. But Nanami just smiles to herself and is like, I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so Nanami, still grumpy is sitting in class trying to read and Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko again come up to her to ask about the blood types of the Kiryu family. And she goes down the list. She's like, I'm B. My mom is B. My dad is B. And then they're like, well, what about Toga? She says, like a typical perfectionist, he's A. And Nanami is too wrapped up in her book to, to notice this. But the trio all do the math on, like, a B and a B can't give birth to an A. It just doesn't work that way. Right. So this is our Simpsons moment of, if you look closely, you can see the moment her heart rips in half. Yeah. And she says, have you ever seen two siblings as smart popular and beautiful as we are even if we don't share the same blood and as soon as those words leave her mouth her face falls and she and the realization hits her she is not a blood relative of toga and this sends her into a frenzy of sorts she immediately runs home and goes through all the pictures that she has of her and Toga together and cannot find a single one of him from when he was a baby and just despairs because for her, that's the confirmation that she needs other than the blood type. There's no baby picture. They ha He has a different blood type. It clicks for her. They're not related. And like, as it's hitting her, the scene matches her mood. It's a storm. And, like, the moment she realizes they're not really brother and sister, there's this clap of thunder. And 
also, I, I just want to say, like, Nanami's mindset on this of, like, only blood relatives being quote-unquote real is a really problematic attitude to hold toward this. Yeah. They're definitely real siblings. Right. Like, they were raised together. <laughs> yeah. Like, he is her real brother. The reality of it is not determined by blood. But there's a piece of this for Nanami that is so crucial to her identity that it, it's just breaking at this moment. I think a part of it for Nanami is honestly, it's a little icky, but I think a big part of it for her for this long is that she felt that her and Toga had the quote purest end quote relationship because they were blood related. Like nothing can break that tie kind of thing. So when that is gone, I almost wonder if for her, the despair is also, I'm no better than anyone else now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So like we cut to commercial, we come back again, the phone is ringing. It's nighttime. (laughs) And she's still, and she's still answering that phone. (laughs) Y'all. But this like, time, she doesn't talk back. She just hangs up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she answers it like a zombie. She's just out of it. And like, she's full on depressed in her pajamas, staring at the ceiling. This is like that shot out of the beginning of Apocalypse Now. Like, she is in full despair mode, staring at the fan on the ceiling. Or in her case, staring at the chandelier. Because she doesn't know what to do with herself if she's not Toga's sister. Yeah. And she's also, as she's thinking about this, she's physically working herself up to the point where there's a knock at the door. It's Toga. And <laughs> when he comes in, he's like, "What? what's wrong? What are you doing? And she's like contorted herself into like this knot <laughs> on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> and she just passes off like, oh, I, I just can't sleep, you know. And so he asks for his phone back. Yeah. Because he hasn't seen it. And she just slides it further under her pillow. (laughs) And he gets close, ostensibly to check for a fever. And she blushes. The rose, the spinning red rose appears on the screen uh, because he's getting so close to her. And he's like, oh, no, no fever. And then he says, how about a goodnight kiss? And again, the rose is spinning. She's blushing. (laughs) And in a callback to that earlier scene, we get the ribbit of the frog again. And the just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) So interestingly enough, after this, the next scene is Mickey and Jury talking to Utena in like the outdoor courtyard that has a bunch of tables and stuff where they all eat and mickey and jury both say that the last two nights uh nanami has come over and asked to stay the night over there and they're like something must be horribly wrong because she would never want to be away from toga something's happened and utana is just like really distracted in this scene trying to process what's going on And she's blankly repeating these words like happened. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, and then eventually she repeats the words ran away three times in a row. And the two of them are like, are you even listening? <laughs> <laughs> it's also really sweet that they're genuinely worried about like her as a person uh, that they care about her this much. I thought that was really sweet. Now we've heard about Nanami hitting up Mickey and Juri for a place to stay. Then we get to see her do it with Suobuki. She tells him that she doesn't want to go home and asks if she can stay with him. And mm-hmm. and he very excitedly agrees. But once again, Akio to the and the biggest air quotes ever here, rescue. <laughs> Uh, He informs her that Rule 34 of Otori Academy is that students in the middle school absolutely cannot sleep anywhere except in their assigned living spaces. Which, like, why why is that a rule? I guess to discourage, like, people from staying. That whole thing that, like, some colleges have of, like, trying to, you know dissuade folks from having people of the opposite sex stay over at night in their rooms i guess that's kind of what they're trying to get at for a middle school that's an appropriate rule (laughs) yeah but yeah i guess so it just seems a little unnecessarily strict like you're telling me we can't even have sleepovers you're telling me if i have a problem with my room i can't like just go stay with a friend I'm being nitpicky about this, but I don't care. Yeah. I hate Akio. <laughs> so Akio brings her up to the residence. And the first thing that Nanami does is apologize for being selfish and like running away from her house. Like, girl, why are you apologizing to Akio about this? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and he insists that he just wants all the students to have a pleasant life on campus and that they're like family, which is another one of his lines that he always repeats Mm -hmm. to gain a minor's trust. Yep. It's like a grooming paint by numbers with Akio. Yeah. Just disgusting. Bandage their ankle, tell them they're like family, invite them over. (laughs) Yep. And he says, if you need anything, ask. And in this scene, there's a purple rose spinning. Uh-huh. Yep. So tell me what you thought of that. Uh, that's, that's Akio's. That's Akio's rose. I felt like the roses that we'd seen so far throughout the episode, we'd seen Toga's red one. We'd seen, oh, we seen Anami's yellow one early, uh, later on in the episode. And... Because of Toga's two red ones, I was like, I feel like this is our first glimpse at, like, Akio's true essence here. Like, kind of following in suit with Toga's. I think it's his rose. Or, just putting it out there, is that Anthe's actual color? Because it is a darker purple. And it appears when he makes that off-color harem joke. But why would it be Anthe's? I would say because he is now trying to he is now trying to make Nanami another rose bride. Ah. Uh. Or something to that effect. Like drawing her into this inner circle that seems to be governed by in some way 
one or both of them. So you think that the dark purple rose was Anthe also trying to like this being kind of a joint Anthe Akio effort to pull Nanami in. I'm just saying everything, everything bad that happens to Nanami has Anthe's fingerprints on it. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> but I get what you're saying though, about this being Akio's rose as opposed to the prince. Yes. No white roses in this episode, I don't think. The only time the white rose appears is in the fable at the beginning. Yes. When they're recounting the the way that Utena was inspired to become a prince. That's the last time we see princeliness in this episode. I think it's a very interesting read if this is Akio's rose. This may be the only time in the series we see Akio's rose separate from the prince. Yeah, which is a big tell for me. Not from what you said, but just seeing that dark purple rose that he's not the prince in the fable. I know that a he's white rose... He's certainly not being princely in this moment. No, hell no. <laughs> and I know that we see a white rose whenever someone feels that the other person is their prince. But again, just in this moment, if this is Akio's true essence being put on display here, and this is his rose, then yeah, he is not the prince. His rose is not white. So continuing on with the off-color harem jokes. Yeah. Utena then is talking to Anthe about whether or not Akio is forming a harem. And... This scene is staged very interestingly. They're setting up a film camera and Anthe is holding up a boom mic on a ladder, which is a very like common position for the, the audio recorder to be in, to be like far above everyone else and bringing the, the microphone in from above. So that way it's out of the frame of the camera. What they're recording is the shadow play that the shadow girls are about to put on. Which the implications that that has, by the way, astronomical, pun intended. Like, <laughs> well, before we get to the the shadow girls, though, I do want to say uh, this little exchange between Utna and Anthe packs a lot into just a few lines. Yeah, Anthe says that he doesn't discriminate when it comes to girls, and this cuts deep. With Utena. She has a flashback to her and Akio. And she's like, no kidding. And just like Toga, Anthe's like, kidding. We know she's not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we know for a fact she's not. And the fact that like this cut so deep for for Utena is plainly visible on her face. And she starts nervous talking which we only see from Utena a couple times in this entire series, but she is just nervous rambling here. But she's making perfect sense with what she's saying. Yeah. She says, of course he's not like that. He's got Kane to think about. And he's also your big brother. And um, she claims that she sounds like she's crazy. And Anthe jokingly agrees with her. But here's Utena falling for Akio justifying disbelieving that 
he has feelings for Nanami by reminding herself that Akio is with Kanae. <laughs> yeah. And therefore couldn't possibly be cheating on Utena with Nanami. <laughs> God. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> that looming message of if he cheats on you, if he cheats on someone else, he'll cheat on you too. Yes. <laughs> if you're the other woman, you will be left behind like everyone else before you. But then we get the Shadow Girls. And this one, the Shadow Play plays out on the blinds in the the residence. Yeah, normally it it happens where like the UFO crashes into a tower or it happens at a specific window. Like we had the Shadow Plays at that at Utena's locker for a long time or around that area. This is the first one up in the chairman's area. Yeah, and they're seemingly recording it. <laughs> right. Again, the implications that has, um, phenomenal. So it starts out with the monkey bot. Back again, our favorite Shadow Girls trope. <laughs> um, uh, the monkey bot is chasing the other Shadow Girl uh, because it's hunting monkeys. And this one is all about cuckoo birds. And the way in which they lay their eggs in other birds' nests, which is actually like the origin of cuckolding. Yep. Um, like that term. And so um, <laughs> one of the shadow girls shows up like a professor and says, ah, this is called parasitism. <laughs> <laughs> which... There's some really troublesome implications there with regards to, like, the way that this is actually about, um, like, I guess, like, adoption? Like, if they're not blood-related, that's the other alternative, right? Right. Or is it... Or like, did they steal a kid? Like, <laughs> Or is, like, the dad cheating on the mom, you know? Or oh, right. the mom cheating on the dad? I don't know which I is worse. Cheating or uh, child kidnapping. Yeah. So I, I think the implication here from this shadow play is that Toga's mom cheated on his dad. And that's why his blood type is A. So like Nanami and uh, Toga have the same mom, but different dads. Mm. Like, I think that's the implication of like the cuckolding reference. Because <laughs> that's pretty on the nose. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, maybe they're step-siblings? And Nanami or, just isn't considering that possibility? Or, I mean, it could even be that... I mean, I guess the cuckolding metaphor is right there, so it's probably what it is. But I guess it could be, like, it's... Togo was the child of a previous relationship, since he is the older one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like, that's an that's a possibility also. And since Nanami is younger, she wouldn't know that they're a blended family. Right. But, like, for nobody to ever tell her, I guess she's kind of young still, but I don't know. Things things weren't always done with, like, some level of transparency <laughs> in history. So, you know, perhaps when this was made, it was just not at the forefront of people's minds to, like sit their child down and be like, this is your new brother. Um, 
and like have that conversation. But I don't know. Nevertheless, I take issue with calling it parasitism. Yes. Um, not not because like that isn't what it's called in the wild, but because like this is definitely a metaphor for the Kiryu family. <laughs> yeah. And uh to imply that like stepkids or half siblings or what whatnot are parasites is a bit much. <laughs> yikes. Big yikes territory. Yes. So Nanami emerges from hanging out with Akio, and Nanami, Utna, and Anthe all junkenpo for their for the bed. Like that's the Japanese term for rock, paper, scissors, or Rochambeau. And then Toga arrives, and Nanami tells him to go home. And Toga pleads with her. He's like, There's no reason for you to start living in a dorm. Which I guess confirms, like, this entire episode confirms, yeah, no, they just have, like, a fucking mansion off campus. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they've been this whole time. It's it's a proper mansion. It's a house. They don't just have, like, the bougiest dorm on campus. They have a house. Right. <laughs> and he says, you're the only sister I've got. We should help each other, shouldn't we? And Nanami says, but we're not siblings. We're not related. When she says this, Toga reacts with shock. But for him, this is shock at her knowing it, not that he didn't know it. Because he, he says, how did you find out? But in this moment where everyone's reacting, mm -hmm. Toga reacts with shock. Utina reacts with shock. Anthe, no reaction. Yep. Which implies that she already knew. Or she doesn't care. I am leaning toward the first one. Yeah, me too. Now, we don't get Akio in that set of reaction shots. By the time we cut to him, that moment of shock is over. So his lack of reaction seems a little more plausible, like a little less like noteworthy. But Nanami just starts spilling her heart here. She says, I can't ignore how I feel. I love you. Just go. Which is quite the statement. Like... I feel like the more normal, quote unquote, normal reaction here would be like, you've lied to me all this time. I hate you. I don't want to see you anymore. Go away. Go home. But instead, it's I love you and I can't be around you right now. Go home. Yeah. And finally, like all of this emotion that has been building this episode comes to a head and she has to confront Toga face to face with both of them knowing the truth and both of them knowing that each other knows. And they have an audience like that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like normally this would be a conversation for just the two of them to have because of how private it is, but they're, they seem perfectly fine to have it in front of the chairman of the school, the Rose bride and Utena. So the next scene uh, is the bedroom scene that we've um, come to know and expect with this arc of episodes where we would normally get Anthe and Utena in the bed facing each other, having their nightly pillow talk. <laughs> uh, but instead, Nanami won the 
rock, paper, scissors game earlier. So it's Nanami and Utena in the bed. And Utena's trying to do her normal nighttime routine of like having a chat about the day's events with who she's in bed with. (laughs) (laughs) And Nanami is having none of it. And I get it because Utena's trying to relate to her, but she's going about it at a really um, blunt way. Um, and kind of callous. She doesn't mean to be, but it, it comes off that way. Cause she tells her just cheer up. <laughs> yeah. And also I want to point out like that whole like yellow and purple thing going on. Nanami yeah. is in Anthe's spot. So when the, the status quo changes in the bedroom, Anthe is replaced by Nanami specifically. Like, that link is preserved in terms of who sleeps in that second bed. Yeah. And as we pan down to see the two of them, it's back to showing the Gemini constellation. Yep. So then we have the duel in this episode and Nanami faces off with Utna and Utna wins and nothing of significance happens for the rest of the episode. Yep. That's it. Have a good night, everybody. God, I wish that was the truth. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So Nanami takes off. She leaves the bedroom because Utena is annoying her. And so she goes up to see Akio. And she's walking into the planetarium. And she sees Akio sit up on the couch. Anyone who has ever had sex on a couch knows the position he is in. Nanami, of course, does not recognize it. She just sees the movement and is startled and says, oh, you scared me. And then she sees Anthe's rose bride dress, of all things, fall off the couch and reveal Anthe. Nanami is not shown to do so, but we see her in the elevator, riding the elevator back down, processing the images of what she just saw of Anthe and Akio either having sex or just having had sex. And she is understandably very traumatized. For me, like the one image that stands out in all of this is that either Anthe puts on the rose bride dress for this or Akio has her put on the rose bride dress for this. Yeah, just adds a whole other layer of bad. Yeah, like, who is this Rose Bride act for? And so, like I said at the beginning of this episode, this, to me at least, is Nanami seeing what the end of the road is for her and Toga if this is what she's looking for. Like, if this is the kind of relationship she's looking for with Toga, she's seeing it now and realizes how wrong that is. I can't get over the image of Anthe just eyes glazed over because she, to me, I just keep getting the read over and over. Like she looks like a corpse laying there to me. So lifeless. I mean, she doesn't move at all when Nanami sees her. She is gone. It is so haunting. And I imagine that that also adds another layer 
of the trauma for them both. Now, I don't have like good evidence for this, but I believe so. I don't have good evidence for this take. So understand that as I say this, but I believe that Nanami's witnessing this at this moment was the plan. I do too, because she's not dead. Like Nanami seeing this was always why she was invited up here. It is why she was given Anthe's bed and having someone bear witness to this, having Nanami specifically because of her relationship with Toga, bear witness to this. Like, of all of Anthe's cruelties to her, you could say this is the cruelest one, but this is, like, the harsh reality one. Like, this is, okay, kid, if this is what you're wishing for, I'm going to show you what this looks like. Yeah. And I can't say with certainty whether I think that it was Akio or Anthe who in the end, like, wanted this outcome. I think it was Anthe. I think it was them both. Again, the sheer... If they did not want to be discovered, they wouldn't have. They know enough magic bullshit about this school that they could have put some surreal fucking illusion or something over them. They could have magicked themselves elsewhere on campus or whatever the fuck, I believe. Or just, like, I don't know, had Nanami, like, fall asleep like Sleeping Beauty and put her back in her bed or some shit. Or actually just send her to the dueling arena instead of the planetarium. Right. Or Akio never would have caught her talking to Suobuki in the first place. He magicked himself out of thin air and manipulated this <laughs> whole situation. So this is 100% intentional. I do think it was both of them. I think it's from both. And I do agree that it's Anthe being cruel. But it's in a very unusual way, meaning this was the most vulnerable thing that she could have shown anyone, I think. And so she did it to be cruel, but also maybe to be a little vulnerable with Nanami. I think it recontextualizes all the shit that Anthe puts Nanami through prior to this. Yeah. Like, I think it changes how I see Anthe doing this to Nanami. Like, it no longer looks the same as just, like, tormenting her for the fun of it. Like, there's an element of that, but also, like, a... Almost like a testing her or, like, pushing her buttons because, like, she knows her well enough that she knows which buttons to push. And Nanami... or and. And Anthe actually has a soft spot for Nanami. Yeah. Not like a crush or anything, but just like doesn't think she's that bad of a person. Probably. Such that like she is the one who she reveals this to. It's probably a I see myself in you type thing. Probably. That would explain both the torment and the vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah, because like the parallels are there between... Nanami and Toga and Anthe and Akio. Mm -hmm. And like I said on Twitter, Nanami is just as magical as Anthe. She just can't control it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll reshare that Twitter post. It's not complicated, but like. <laughs> so there's 
a very brief shot that we get of after the elevator ride down, all of a sudden we get Anthe suddenly rising and her hair like flaring out. It's like she's going into another transformation, which... That is not how I read that shot. <laughs> really? <sighs> I kind of read it as like a here they go again thing. Oh, yeah, no. Like, I read that as her riding cowgirl and... Dead. <laughs> like, that's why I didn't want to say it. Like <laughs> Dead. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> That's how I've always read that shot. I, I, I'm dead. I thought it was another transformation of into the Rose Bride. Like, uh, here we go again type thing. I don't feel like those are necessarily mutually exclusive in this moment. No, I don't think they are. Now that you've said that out loud. <laughs> I just wasn't thinking of it that way. <laughs> My brain was not going there. Oh. So we're joking and making light of this. But this is actually a pretty disturbing moment, and I get that like we're reacting with humor to it because it's so unsettling. But I also want to point out that, again, this is a shot where the animators put all of their effort into animating the most disturbing content. Like, they're sexualizing Anthe here in a way that they don't do for Akio. Right? Like, they're not doing it for any of the other characters. They are turning her into, like, a porn subject. Like, this is where things like male gaze comes into play. Where the way that the animation treats Anthe makes it so that it is titillating to the audience. Which is incongruous with the, like, the actual context of the scene. Right? Like, the scene itself is, in fact, one of abuse and rape. And yet the animation makes it look like something you should want to see. And that just bugs me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, make, I make light of it just to cope. <laughs> so what are your predictions for next time? <laughs> so once again, in our episode preview, we get Anthe revealing more... Um, and more about her own feelings of people tend to trust those that they fall in love with, essentially, even if it's to their detriment, even if they, they end up getting used or hurt. <sighs> the episode title is The Romance of the Dancing Girls. What I would love to see is more about Anthea and Utena's relationship. Do I think we'll get that? No. Uh the episode shots were all Nanami, like at different points around the school, kind of like hiding, but also trying to just like contemplate and still very much in runaway mode. Um, yeah, I hope we get, I feel like we'll get a conversation between Utena and Anthe because she seems to be having more of those revealing conversations with Utena now even just by the one that we saw in this episode, how even though it was so brief. Oh yeah, this entire arc is technically really about the building relationship between Utena and Anthe. Mm -hmm. As much as it is about like wrapping up the plot lines of the student council. 
I feel like Toga's probably going to try to track her down. Um, or we'll just see shots of him throughout the episode, like thinking about her kind of thing. <laughs> do you think we'll get a duel? I feel like we will just because of the formula of the show. When there's a two-parter, typically there's a duel in the second episode. And we've been going through the student council members again this whole time. And we haven't had an Anami round two or three technically at this point. Um, so I think we'll get an Anami Utena duel. Okay. Not a uh, Utena Toga duel? Mm, no, I don't think so. Or better yet, a Nanami Toga duel? That would be so sick, but I don't think that's going to happen. See, this is the thing. Like, they don't let Utena lose enough times to really set up, like, the good, juicy duels. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see a Nanami and Toga duel. Yeah, it would be so good. Oh, my God. The, the dialogue that they would have as they're fighting. Oh, incredible. Because, like, we kind of get that. They... I think they knew they wanted to go in this direction because that's kind of what we got with Ruka and Jury, mm -hmm. where, yes, Jury is technically fighting the duel in the dueling game in the arena with Utena. But all the footage is about the sparring fight that they had at the Fountain Edge. Yes. I would love to see, like... Nanami and Toga have like a full-on proper duel in the ballroom. Oh, of their own house? Yes, absolutely oh. in their own house. Yeah. Ah, oh, it would be fantastic. So perfect. Somebody write that fan fiction and send it to us. <laughs> because like we always get these proxy duels, right? Like they yeah. duel with Utena to deal with their half of the conflict. Like we see this with Kozway and Mickey also. Like they, they fight Utena to deal with their own personal feelings about their half of the conflict. Right. But we never see them fight each other. <laughs> <laughs> if I have one complaint about the show, it's that. <laughs> yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, because of the composition of the duels and the like Rosebride parallels that are in the duels now. I think it's probably going to end up being Toga and Nanami because I don't think Toga is somebody who would let a sword be drawn out of him. I think he's got that toxic masculinity mentality. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he would. I don't think he would be the dual partner, the one who drives the car. Maybe we'll see. I'd love for him to be. That would be fascinating to see. Right. Him be that level of vulnerable. Interesting. So, I mean, one thing we do, I think, know about this next episode is how this one ended, right? Like, Nanami just got, like, a huge piece of information. What's she going to do with that? Right? Like, who is she going to tell? Is she going to tell anybody? Probably not. She doesn't have anybody to really talk to right now, except for maybe Suabuki. She doesn't really trust anybody else. Not the trio. Not the student council members. She doesn't trust Toga right now. But I would think her inclination would be to run to her brother. But it doesn't seem like she did in the episode preview. Well, right. She wants to run to her brother, but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. But in her conflict and turmoil. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you, if I saw something like that and I was having a, 
uh, conflict like she was having with my sibling, I wouldn't give a shit. I would run immediately (laughs) (laughs) to my sibling and be like, "Uh, I just saw the craziest fucking shit ever. I am scarred. (laughs) Help me. What do we do? (laughs) So if you, dear listener, have any amazing fanfic of Nanami and Toga finally stepping into the dueling arena together, you can send it to us. (laughs) You can also send us like your questions and comments and anything else. We'd like it all. Uh, you can send it to absolute destiny a podcast at gmail.com. And you can also send in all of those lovely things to our Twitter, which is Zetai Unmei Pod. I'm also individually on Twitter at Life and Neon. And I'm on there as at CarCutie. And I'm on TikTok, Twitch, all the social media as CarCutie. And we will see you next time. <laughs>